Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for the latest Housing Matters Podcast. I'm Oscar Way. And I'm Jordan Levine. Well, I hope everyone is ready for the uh, July 4th weekend. Uh, we're definitely ready. Um, and, I definitely am. And we want to crank one out before the holiday so that uh, you have something to, uh, to, to talk about in terms of the housing market. That's right. Now, we, uh, we, we had some you know, release in the last uh, couple weeks, and we have the sales release, we have the pending release. The pending sales number uh, that we got uh, earlier this week suggests that we, the market, okay, well, if you're just looking at the pending sales numbers, it looks like uh, well, we're going to have a couple of tough months ahead of us yeah. because of uh, some drop in the pending sales. That's right, not uh, as many homes entering escrow. Definitely not. Of course, um, if you look at you know some other numbers, um, just the close sales number it seems to suggest some other ways. Right. But we still believe that you know yes, a lot of sales were actually pulled forward, um, and they cost earlier in the year. Yeah. Right. And of course, you know part of the reason why we have a drop in uh, pending sales could be attributed to a little bit higher price and also because of affordability, right? That's right, definitely, yeah. And I mean, just the challenges associated with home ownership, right? There's been um, less than three months of supply and um, affordability's gotten worse almost, you know, every quarter on a year-over-year basis for the last, you know, handful of years in a row. Um, and and home ownership has really taken it on the chin kind of as a result of that, which we talked about at length uh-huh. um, in previous in previous editions, one of the things I thought that was really interesting um, that we kind of discussed a little bit when I was up in the Central Valley last week was uh-huh. actually um, talking a little bit about how home ownership varies across um, race and ethnic groups, which is you know a pet peeve or a favorite topic of mine to discuss anyway. And I uh-huh. think um, you know just because California's economy is becoming so so diverse we're you know very close to becoming a majority minority state um and so you know even to the extent that you just care about home ownership overall um you know we're gonna have to start paying attention to minority home ownership um because it's just such a huge chunk of our of our population base right you're not going to be able to affect home ownership without affecting you know hispanic and black home ownership in particular i think so exactly and and you know with uh some anticipation of maybe uh, rising interest rates. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, we predict you know affordability is getting um, worse and and going to continue to do so, and and that's just going to make it that much more challenging, I think, um, moving forward. But I think you know instead of one of the, the fun things that we did in the Central Valley, which was you know not talking about the kind of depressing aspect of this, which is that kind of bigger structural component to the to the gap in home ownership. I mean, I think if you look at the um, Census Bureau's data, which they kind of break stuff out um, according to race and ethnicity, there's still a pretty persistent gap where, you know, um, yes, the overall home ownership is around 53% or so um, uh-huh. in California, but it depends on what group you're looking at. So, uh, you know, for white and Asian households, it's, you know, 62, 63% for white, 58% for Asian, um, but black and Hispanic is 335 and 42% more or less, um, much, much lower, which is, um, you know, uh, a problem 
for them, obviously, but it's also just a bigger issue for, for home ownership. But rather than kind of focusing on those more persistent gaps, which I think are really um, structural in nature, we, we looked at some of the opportunity, right? So a big chunk of that gap is just because people can't afford to buy right. homes, right? I think a lot of this is income driven. We know that um, the median income for black and Hispanics, I think is a lot lower, obviously, than it is for Asian and white households um, who tend to have those kind of higher income levels in California. And and that's true. I mean, it's, it affects you know, the whole, it's not just, you know, a snapshot of, you know, today's uh, housing market, today's home ownership, and it affects the long term. Right. I mean, you said it earlier, um, you know, we, we're becoming more and more, we're, we're becoming more and more a minority, becoming, you know, the yeah, We're majority. just a diverser state, right? Right. And if, if you know, the home ownership rate for, um, for um, Hispanic, Hispanic population and um, African-American population uh, typically are lower than a white population. So we can see in the next 10 years, 20 years, if that group of population get bigger and bigger, our home ownership rate will continue to decline. Right, right. And so I think, you know, that's the long-term thing that I'm used to talking about as an economist, right, is we, you know, talk about ways to kind of boost those structural um, you know, ownership rates and close those home ownership gaps. And I think, you know, those are long-term solutions, right? Those are some of the challenges that have persisted for decades and are probably going to take uh, many years to address. we got to boost, you know, income levels, which mm -hmm. means boosting levels of educational attainment, health and safety in some of these lower-income neighborhoods and access to opportunities and things like that. Um, you know, there's a, a whole branch of economics really um, dedicated to kind of boosting quality of life, and those are some of the most common things. But I think, you know, boosting K-12 through education, that's a longer-term um, exactly. initiative yeah. that you have to take on, right? Getting more folks to finish college degrees, that's a longer-term process that's going to, you know, have to start now and, and maybe take, you know, years or decades to unfold. Um, but, you know, the thing that I'm optimistic about, or I think the thing that um, is less depressing, or, you know, folks say, well, then what's, you know, what can we do as realtors to, to kind of chip away at these home ownership gaps? Well, one of the things that I wanted to look at was, yes, there is this kind of structural component of folks who just simply can't afford to become homeowners. Um, but I actually went back to the data and said, okay, of all of these renters that are out there, how many of them rent but actually earn enough to where they could move into home ownership? And actually what I found was that there's a significant number. Yes, there's a big chunk of folks who simply don't earn enough income to become homeowners. That's a fact. Um, but there is a, a decent sized chunk of folks out there who make enough um, to be able to actually afford that median priced home in their counties and yet rent anyway. And if you look at the numbers, they're actually uh, fairly large. So these are households. But when I went through and and crunch the numbers, it's on the order of about 1 million households in California, which actually earn more than what that minimum qualifying income would be in their county and yet continue to rent. Um, anyway, that's not to say that we could capture all, you know, a million of those folks and convert them right into home ownership. You know, right off the bat, there might be other barriers besides income that may be right, preventing right. them. You know what I mean? Like, credit scores or something like that. I mean, do you have thoughts on what might be holding them back from, from doing that, even though they might have enough income? Well, uh, you know, a couple of things, of course. Uh, I think, you know, something that we uh, continue to talk about before was, of course, in order to, you know, they, they may be qualified to, uh, to, to, to get a loan, but at the same time, yeah, um, when we look at the age group, there's possibility that some of them may not necessarily have accumulated enough down payment. Gotcha, yeah. Um, and, of course, I think uh, some of it, 
it may be in a small group it is possible that we have talked about out migration some people from like the really expensive san francisco santa clara county yep. they might have moved into the uh you know more affordable counties like stanislaus so it may appear that wow they're they have a higher income than yep. uh than, than the household income in that group in that uh, area. area right but as as you know, uh, for the for the for most of it, it's probably you're you're probably right. Um, so it's kind of hard to uh, to make an assessment of how many of them actually want to rent, how many of them actually want. Yeah, to buy. I mean, how many of them are doing it as a conscious choice? How many of them maybe are renting because they've got a foreclosure on their record uh-huh. now, or something like that, or maybe they don't have a traditional right, right. credit score, right? Maybe they've been working on a you know as a independent contractor consultant. They don't have a formal credit history. They've never you know purchased a new vehicle they've lived and bought only used vehicles or something like that and worked on a more cash basis there's a lot of reasons maybe why some of these renters um, even though they've got higher incomes might choose to be a renter but i think the fact remains that at least some fraction of those million households with these higher levels of income could be peeled off into home ownership. And just to give you a sense of how that breaks down, about 125,000 or so are Asian, uh, about 70,000 or so are black households, uh-huh. 277,000 are Hispanic, and about 500,000 um, are white-headed households. And so I think, you know, for me, this is this is a real opportunity. We know the market's tight. We know that you still need a pretty high FICO score um, to be able to get a loan right we know that there's a lot of renters out there who can't afford to buy a home but there's this huge pool of you know more than a million families out there households um, who potentially do have the income to jump into the market right now which could be a big source of business um, for our members and it also could do a lot towards kind of addressing some of these um, you know ownership gaps and so I think the other thing that I'd point out um, even though I know I've totally monopolized um, this conversation is just that you know what it will do to to home ownership, right? Because I think that when you look at um, the amount of renters, right? I think um, for you know Hispanics, it's a majority renter uh-huh. group, right? I think less than fifty percent home ownership. I think it's about forty-two percent. I think if I said correctly before, um, of those, you know, fifty percent of those renters, you know, simply can't afford. But about seven and a half percent are renting, even though they make higher than that income. And so, what that means is that you can really just add that extra chunk onto their home ownership rate. So, if we were able to peel off all of those income eligible Hispanic renters and move those folks into homes, um, you'd go from forty-two percent home ownership to about forty-nine and a half. So, we'd get wow, really, nice. really close to getting to fifty-fifty uh, home ownership and and coming close to you know, majority home ownership, like some of these other ethnic categories, and that's without even tackling some of these more persistent, um, you know, structural issues that I talked about before. And so I think it's a real um, opportunity for members. I think it's a huge opportunity for our state. Um, And it's something that we can do over the short run while we try and tackle some of these things that are maybe going to take years and decades um, to to kind of root out. And so that's something that I'm I'm really optimistic about as well. And and maybe a a more... um, encouraging way to look at these ownership gaps and and so i think that especially when you look at how what the reasons why some of these folks are being you know kept back a lot of it's just an education or a marketing thing right some folks can't afford but how many people know 
about FICO scores. I mean, we did a lot of survey research. You remember what it said about you know how many people even know about low down payment options and things like that? Because I think that's that's critical and where the realtor plays a big role. I think you have a very good point there. A lot of people may not necessarily know about um, the um, the low down payment options. You know, a lot of people think, well, they need about fifteen percent, twenty percent down payment. Uh, they don't necessarily know about FHA loans. Right. So some of them may uh, may believe that at least you have a um, you have a, a pretty decent size down payment in order to, to, to buy a home. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big misconception. We got median prices in the 500,000K range right now, uh, or in the 500,000 range rather, and I think, you know, a lot of people out there think you need a hundred grand in the bank to become a homeowner right now. Very true, and and they may not necessarily know a, a lot about, you know, other assistance, not necessarily just the uh, uh, FHA loans, but there are some other assistance that they could get from, let's say, um, HUD or from some of the places. Right. Now, I do want to bring up another point or a couple of points that could attribute to um, the the fact that even though we're seeing, you know, a lot of people may not necessarily uh, may not may have the income to uh, buy, but not necessarily buying right now. It it's it, could it possibly be a supply issue? When I say a supply issue. Now, it is possible that, you know, if you look at the median income, yeah, the median household income uh, qualified to buy a home, they're qualified, but at the same time, if we, t- if we take a look at the supply, the supply, we may actually have a, a uh, not a lot of supply in the uh, below median price uh, level. Right. Because we're looking at, a lot of time we look at the sold price, we don't look at the list price. Right. So it is possible that even though we have, let's say 50% or, or you know, whatever percentage uh, that can afford to buy, the supply is much lower, so uh, it, 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 that could be one reason. But also another reason could be, um, and I'm just speculating here. Sure, it's possible that you know, even though the state distribution shows that you know a lot of people are, um, are qualified, mm-hmm. um, but those people may be cent- uh, concentrated in more higher price areas such as the job center. Right. So you know the uh, income over there. I mean the uh, minimum income required. Maybe a little higher, right? Um, and that's why we're seeing a lot of those out migration. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that the uh, the challenges are are obviously huge, and I think you know you can't you don't want to diminish the um, you know these longer term structural issues, right? Uh-huh. As I said, for Hispanics in, in particular, right, over fifty percent um, of the population base are renters, and they're renting because they simply can't afford to buy, uh-huh. and and you can't overlook that, and that's definitely something. Um, that we need to advocate for and start to chip away at, um, especially as we become a more diverse state. But I think, you know, that again, that seven and a half, eight percent who rent but can't afford to buy, um, you know, a lot of it is something I think that our members could overcome through through marketing, through education, through being that kind of educator in chief who's, you know, showing them that you don't need a hundred grand in the bank to, to purchase a home to, um, you know, educate them on Fannie and Freddie programs that might exist out there for people without credit. That was one of the things that I'm encouraged about. And actually, even as an economist who looks at this stuff all the time, um, you know, I wasn't aware of how many efforts are out there actually for not, you know, people who don't fit into that kind of traditional credit box of having a a FICO score and things like that. It's not that they have bad credit, right? This is what uh, Richard Green, uh, a PhD economist who we follow a lot, um, talks about all the time is that there's a huge chunk of people out there who, you know, it's not that they have bad credit, it's that they have no credit at all. And, And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad bet in terms of paying back a mortgage, right? If they've lived 40 years you know, buying 
everything with cash and never being evicted from their home or missing a utilities payment. Um, you know, yes, they might not have a FICO score, but they'd still probably be a pretty good bet, right? They're used to paying things off and, and kind of making do with what they have um, and, and are still missing out on the opportunities to become um, homeowners. And I just feel terrible because, I, it, you know, we're in such historic times when you look at, you know, the, the benefits of homeownership, I think, are, are clear. And we've talked yeah, about that definitely. on our podcast, you know, many, many times about, you know, the wealth accumulation, the intergenerational stuff, right? That your children are much more likely to go to college. Right, exactly. And and all that kind of, just a quality of life thing, right? You become more of the master of your own destiny. It's a hedge against um, inflation, right? Your landlord can continue to jack up rents. Uh, year after year into the future, but to the extent that you can get a fixed rate loan, which most people can, um, you actually fix the cost of your housing going out 30 years into the future. Um, and that's a huge thing. But, you know, the, the, the benefits are, are really clear. And, and now we're in a, a really unique time where interest rates are so low uh, and prices are appreciating. I mean, think of how much wealth has been created since 2010. Uh, when prices hit bottom to the extent that you were lucky enough to get into the market back in 2010 um, your house has appreciated a lot and you've already seen a lot of wealth get created mm-hmm. um, that's something a lot of these households have missed out on um, you know and I just worry going forward that we need to be more proactive get folks into home ownership that's going to be good for realtors it's going to be good for our economy uh, and it's going to be good for those families who are going to get their first leg on that property ladder uh, and really start to get those benefits and, and leverage those going forward so yeah, I mean, you know, if you take a look at, of course, um, it's hard to gauge sometimes, but if you take a look at sales, um, you know, we used to have a much higher sales level. Right. Um, in uh, 2005, 2006, of course, you can argue that back then, you know, people might be over leveraging. But, you know, that 7%, 7 8% additional people that could afford to buy, you know, those are definitely a good sign. I mean, we're in an economy where things are growing. Right. And, uh, and, and it looks like lenders are loosening up a little bit, but we can probably use a little bit more help, you know, with, uh, you know, some rev- uh, review, uh, the uh, uh, going back to the Dodd-Frank, the right. um, financial regulations. You know, if we kind of loosen up, loosening up some of the uh, lending standards, that will help. And what you said about credit scores, um, definitely, you know, uh, sometimes we, we cannot look at just credit scores. So, with the economy growing better, uh, getting better, I think they may be a little bit more um, easy. Yeah, I mean, I look at this as a business opportunity ultimately, right? That, uh, you know, this these, you know, pool of folks who, you know, can't afford to become homeowners are out there and we need to chip away at that over the long run. But over the short run, there's this kind of low-hanging fruit of people who do make enough money to become homeowners. Um, let's see what we can do to go out there and, and convince them to take advantage of these low interest rates and generate some business for ourselves, and also give uh, the economy a bit of a shot in the arm as well. So yes, inventories are tight, um, but, you know, these are our perspective, you know, sides that we can close on. And so, uh, you know, we'd be doing everybody a favor, I think, if we could convert more of these renters uh, into homeowners, and especially in these kind of uh, categories where folks have this historical um, gap in terms of homeownership. So that's my my kind of soapbox pitch, but I think that uh, it's kind of fun to look at it from um, the less depressing side. You know, the depressing side is, yes, we've got a lot lot of work ahead of us to close the um, homeownership gap, but I think the funner side of it is that uh, there's a lot of things that we can do over the short term to to have an impact right away. Yeah, both at the uh, 
the association level, and that's what we're doing too. Right. I mean, we have you know our uh, uh, diversity initiative. We have other things yep. CR is doing. But you know, as a member, as a realtor, but even at the individual member level, exactly. Yeah, we can definitely do more to educate. Um, yeah, diversity more group, clients. More yep. clients. Um, you know, uh, especially younger younger folks. 